Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. This month is Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, and a lot of us don't know much about the disease. Today is actually International Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Day. Now, me and my family didn't know much about it until about eight years ago when we lost my father to this terrible disease. When we did some research, we found out that it is devastating. Last year, we lost a Canadian icon, Alex Trebek, to the disease, and many other well-known people have fought a losing battle with it. You're going to hear these stats over and over again today, but pancreatic cancer is one of the, if not the most deadly cancer, where survival rates have not improved for decades, and only 4-8% to of people survive 5 years. It's very difficult to diagnose, only operable in 15% of cases, and can spread easily throughout the body. It's a relatively uncommon form of cancer, but because it's so deadly, it'll soon be the number two killer for cancers in the country. Alex Trebek, Steve Jobs, and Patrick Swayze, among others, weren't able to survive even with access to the best care available. So today's episode is about accomplishing two main things. First is to create awareness for all of us listening and to educate ourselves on what the signs and symptoms are in the hopes that if we ever do get diagnosed, we find out sooner and have more effective treatment. And secondly, is to share what's happening out there to improve the outcomes for those who are diagnosed so they may have a different fate than people like Alex Trebek. First, we're going to talk with Dr. Anish Karpalani, who's the chairman for the Pancreatic Cancer Canada and a research scientist at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. As you'll hear, he also has a very personal connection to pancreatic cancer outside of his role as a radiologist and researcher. He'll share what we need to know about the disease, as well as some of the amazing research, which just now is starting to show hopes of better outcomes for patients and a brighter prognosis than just 10 years ago. Then in the last part of the show, I'll have my mom on, who'll share her firsthand experience taking care of my father who passed of pancreatic cancer. She'll also talk about the grassroots efforts that she's led for our family to shed light on the disease and explain why we felt the need to raise funding for research as a family. You know, it's a difficult topic, but there is hope for those in years to come if we increase our awareness and funding for research. So to better understand the disease, I spoke with Dr. Kerpalani from his clinic in Toronto. So let's listen in. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kerpalani. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Well, we couldn't ask for a better person to be able to talk about pancreatic cancer, about what the risks are and what people need to know. Can you give the folks a little bit of background about what you do and how you're involved with uh, Pancreatic Cancer Canada? Yeah, sure. So, so I'm a radiologist. I'm an abdominal radiologist. That's my, uh, uh, my day job. And so I, I see uh, the pancreas a lot in my day job in, in terms of uh, imaging uh, the pancreas and looking at uh, CTs and MRs. I've been doing that for a long time. And... Um, I became involved with pancreas cancer at a personal level because uh, I had the unfortunate experience to diagnose my own mom with pancreas cancer on a CT scan that I read uh, in 2008. And so I had this strange, unfortunate, interesting uh, intersection of my personal and professional lives with regards to this disease. And over the years, she passed away in 2009. Over the years, uh, you know, I had a little bit increasing involvement with the organization in terms of helping with advocacy, helping them with research funding. And in 2016 or so, 
uh, I was asked to join the board to look at kind of uh, especially the education and outreach to primary care, telling people about this disease because I've always felt that it's poorly understood. Uh, people don't know it well, uh, even in the primary care the health environment. You know, for many reasons, it's it's often overlooked. And uh, I felt that I needed some improvement in education. And and a couple of years ago, I was asked to to become the chair of the board. And so I've uh, been in that role as a um, board chair of this nonprofit, in addition to my, um, you know, my full-time uh, work in medicine and radiology. Hmm. It's funny how most people that are involved are the people that were affected because their family members were affected because the survival rates are so low. Maybe you could share with folks some statistics around just how deadly the disease is. Yeah, it's a terrible disease. Uh, it is what I like to call the world's toughest or the world's worst cancer. Uh, it is not like what we think of as cancer today in, in, ter you know, in terms of thinking about most forms of cancer. Why is that? Uh, there's a couple of big reasons. First of all, it is very rare to catch pancreas cancer in its early stages when it can be effectively cured and really effectively treated. That is unlike many other, disease, uh, many other forms of cancer that have early clinical warning signs or early symptoms that will tip off people as to you know, a possible diagnosis or uh, other forms of cancer that have well-established screening programs uh, like colorectal cancer, like breast cancer, like other um, uh, forms of, of this disease. So we don't have good effective screening programs. We don't have you know, early detection in pancreas cancer. And so pancreas cancer often presents very, very late in the disease which leads directly to its poor outcomes. Uh, and related to that, and the other you know, reason uh, it's different in terms of talking about statistics, is that the, the survival rates of pancreas cancer are very, very poor. You know, approximately five to 8% of pancreas cancer patients are alive at five years. It's the worst survival rate, maybe tied for the worst with one other form of cancer of all cancers uh, in the world. And uh, it is slowly taking over other forms of cancer in terms of the overall cause of death among cancer deaths. So it is really uh, a terrible disease. But, you know, getting back to the, the early detection, uh, really the, 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 the curative treatment in pancreas cancer is, is surgery, is surgical removal uh, and cure. And just to give you an idea of how it's detected late, only about 15% of, of pancreas cancer patients even present at a point where surgery would be an option or a curative treatment would be an option for them. So, uh, you know, it, it, it really has um, uh, terrible stats, but there is a lot of great work happening in this mm -hmm. disease. And we're starting to see finally, after many, many decades of uh, very stagnant statistics with regards to survival, we're starting to see some hope and some slight upticks thanks to, you know, a lot of the work that's being done around the world, including in Canada. Uh, in the area of pancreas cancer uh, research and clinical advancements. That's great. We're going to talk about that today too, some of the new advancements that are happening. But you know, it's funny, it's, it's ironic you say that because my father was, uh, they thought it was bladder cancer, then they thought it was a GI issue and, uh, and right. then, uh, they, then they treated those, but then underlying the whole thing was the, was the pancreas cancer. So it sounds like a very typical story. How does it actually manifest in the body? So how does it impact the pancreas? So, the, uh, you know, one of the problems is just an anatomy problem. The pancreas sits in a, in a, from a detection standpoint, in a fairly unfortunate part of the abdomen of the body. It's deep in the abdomen toward the back next to a whole bunch of important structures 
like lymph nodes and lymphatic ducts and the aorta and the uh, you know and the main veins and arteries that run through the uh, through the abdomen and it's in an area that is quite non-specific in terms of the symptoms that it'll produce uh, as you may know uh, one of the main symptoms probably the most important symptom is pain uh, and is uh, abdomen pain and back pain and how non-specific is that? I mean, there's a hundred things that can cause abdominal pain and back pain and will lead, probably as in your father's case, uh, certainly in, in, in many cases, will lead people to try to work up this very non-specific symptom. And it will take time because it won't become obviously, you know, it won't become obvious at the beginning that it's potentially due to this. That's why people have to be aware of it and think of it. Uh, at least in that diagnostic pathway. Mm -hmm. So, it, so uh, you know, this tumor, this cancer comes from the pancreas. The pancreas is an important organ uh, that's, uh, that's important in digestion. It, it plays a big role in uh, people's ability to digest all kinds of foods. And it also plays a very important role in our hormones. It, it, it produces hormones, the most important of which is insulin, which uh, regulates our blood sugar levels. And insulin problems, as you know, lead to diabetes. And so there's a strong relationship with diabetes in this disease. Mm. Um, and the cancer forms, you know, inside the, you know, inside the, the cells of the pancreas. Uh, there are a few different forms of pancreas cancer, but the one that is most dreaded and uh, the one with the really terrible survival statistics is called adenocarcinoma of the pancreas, which comes from some of the lining of the, you know, of the tubes and ducts inside the pancreas. Uh, and, and that's the one that, you know, we worry the most about. Mm. Yeah, uh, and the and the, and the surgical operation is like fifteen percent of people, and that's called Whipple surgery, correct? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, for those who are eligible for surgery, there are there are basically three different types of surgery uh, surgeries that could be done. The most common of them is a Whipple surgery because most of the 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 cancers of the pancreas occur in you know what is called the head of the pancreas, and the head of the pancreas is uh, associated with uh, other structures that need to be reconstructed like the bile ducts. And so the Whipple procedure, Whipple surgery is a very extensive involved surgery that can remove the head of the pancreas where that tumor most commonly resides. Uh, but there are other forms of the pancreas depending on where the tumor is. If the tumor is in the other end of the pancreas in the tail, the surgery that is commonly performed is a distal pancreatectomy where that part of the pancreas is removed. If the tumor is, you know, or if the tumor is more diffuse, uh, and involves you know more of the pancreas. The the third type of surgery, which is very extensive, is a total pancreatectomy, which you can imagine is just the total removal of the pancreas. These are all big operations, uh, many hours long, that need to, and a crucial message is these surgeries need to be done at high volume pancreas surgical centers. These are not surgeries that should be done at places and, and you know um, provincial cancer organizations have been excellent about concentrating expertise and volumes of these kind of surgeries to a small number of centers that become really good at them because they do a lot of them. And that's a really important aspect of, uh, of somebody getting pancreas cancer treatment should be going to high volume pancreas cancer surgical centers. We're talking with Dr. Anish Karpalani. He's the chairman of Pancreatic Cancer Canada and a research physician at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. He's telling us what we need to know about pancreatic cancer but also what's new on the horizon in terms of treatments and research. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Anish Karpalani. He's the chairman of Pancreatic Cancer Canada and a research physician at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. He's sharing what we need to know about pancreatic cancer, the signs and the symptoms, as well as what's new on the horizon in terms of treatments and research. Let's get back to the interview. 
So we, we know that 85% of people aren't even going to qualify for a surgery. What are some of the other treatments that people go through for pancreatic cancer? Yeah, so the other, you know, the other forms of, of treatment where we have seen lots of advances uh, in recent years are uh, predominantly chemotherapy and, uh, or medical therapy and radiation therapy. And those forms of treatment can be used both in patients who have so-called unresectable pancreas cancer, uh, where it just can't be removed surgically or can't be removed yet surgically, uh, and, and, and those patients can, you know, can proceed on to, a, to medical therapy based on chemotherapy. And uh, the other group of patients that, that could be treated that way would be those where the, where the pancreas cancer has actually spread to other organs, so-called metastatic pancreas cancer. Those patients can also be treated with, with chemotherapy. Radiation also plays a role, usually in a complementary fashion to chemotherapy, and, and both of those treatments can be planned um, before and after uh, surgical treatment as well. So the therapy for these patients is often a combination uh, of these different forms of treatment. Mm. And the other thing about the pancreas, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't have some of the same tissues that sort of confine cancer as easily as some other things like the prostate, for example. So it can, it can metastasize a little bit easier than some other cancers. Is that right? That's absolutely right, Mike. Uh, there's no so-called capsule or, as you said, tissue that, that uh, like in the prostate, that clearly uh, confines uh, the tumor or confines the pancreas. The pancreas is exposed, if you will, to what I like to call uh, the highways of travel uh, up and down the abdomen and the body uh, so that, unfortunately, uh, it's easy uh, for, for a tumor that sits in the pancreas to spread. Mm. So... If somebody's listening here, I mean, it's, it's all sounds quite scary for a lot of folks, but what is the advice that a physician like yourself would tell people when it comes to identifying risk factors or identifying signs and symptoms for, for, for themselves or even people they, they, they care about? Yeah, uh, you know, that's a great question. So let's start with signs and symptoms um, because most pancreas cancers are not hereditary. Most of them are not. They don't tend to run in families with, with some exceptions. And so a lot of pancreas cancers are just spontaneously found outside of a screening program. So what are the signs and symptoms associated with them? Well, one of them we talked about, uh, which is pain. It's usually abdominal pain or back pain, uh, often, you know, a form of pain that's going to be unrelenting or, you know, has been, is being worked up for other reasons and there's no other cause for it that, that, that's been found. That's kind of a warning sign. Uh, weight loss and often profound weight loss mm -hmm. is a unexplained uh, significant unintentional weight loss is another important sign and symptom. Jaundice for those tumors that are in the head of the pancreas, which is the most common area, jaundice, which is yellowing of the skin and yellowing of the eyes, uh, which, which indicates that the bile ducts that run through that head of the pancreas are blocked or obstructed. That's an important sign that uh, somebody had, you know, somebody could have pancreas cancer. Another important sign would be just changes in digestive patterns, nausea, vomiting, change in appetite uh, that are otherwise otherwise unexplained. You know, altogether, these are, are individually, these are all very nonspecific symptoms. But once some of them come together in the middle of a workup, uh, you know, where somebody is thinking about this, this possible diagnosis potentially the knowledge of those signs and symptoms, uh, you know, can, can help somebody. And I would say that the other uh, important sign, you know, which uh, I've seen many times, it, it, was, uh, it was present in my mom's case as well, is late onset or otherwise unexplained diabetes. 
Somebody who develops diabetes, let's say later in life, no family history, not responding to diabetes treatment, not, not responding to, to lifestyle modifications that might otherwise help diabetes, that's something that should trigger uh, you know, some uh, uh, flags, red flags or, or, or warning signs, flashing lights, uh, that maybe there's a reason for this diabetes. And that's something that, that family doctors and primary care uh, physicians, endocrinologists, uh, really uh, can help a patient uh, if, uh, if, they, if they think about this diagnosis in a relatively common disease like diabetes. There's, you know, the, the diabetes is extremely common. Nobody would think that, you know, that there may be an underlying pancreas cancer that's causing that. But, but to think about that in, in unusual cases of diabetes would be a potentially very important, you know, contribution that somebody could make. This is part of the show. Part of the show is, is, is for individuals to have the health literacy that they can listen to something like this and maybe they can put that on the radar of their physician because it is so uncommon. That might be one yeah. way for them to be able to help themselves with their health literacy. Um, uh, that would be great. I, I hope so. Yeah. And that's, that's really the goal. Pancreatic cancer has been drastically outpaced by advancements in other cancers. And as a result, there's been little progress in the fight against pancreatic cancer in the last 40 years. The hard truth is that 92% of people diagnosed won't live longer than five years. Researchers believe that's because there's many different types of pancreatic cancer, yet they're all traditionally treated with the same type of chemotherapy. It's widely believed that personalized medicines for each subtype may result in higher survival rates. While the PANC1 network works collaboratively with global leaders to share knowledge and ideas, it's a first-of-its-kind network of Canadian investigators at centers of excellence from coast to coast who are working together to share ideas, data, findings, and other pancreatic cancer-related research. The goal of PANC1 is to identify these subtypes and to find the right treatment for the right patients at the right time while working to discover new and innovative therapies that provide better patient care and survivability and quality of life. Through funding support of donors to Pancreatic Cancer Canada, these researchers at PANC1 are learning about the disease and treating it in new ways that will ultimately, hopefully, increase survival among pancreatic cancer patients. Let's get back to our conversation with Dr. Kerpalani. It is a relatively rare form of cancer. We didn't get into how common it is. Uh, you know, it is a, it is a um, I'm not sure if I would say it's a rare form, but it is a, a certainly less common form of cancer. The, you know, the incidence is, is uh, lower compared to, you know, some of the more common forms of cancer that we hear about, like colon cancer and breast cancer and prostate cancer and lung cancer. But interestingly, for a relatively, you know, um, less common form of cancer, uh, it is it is responsible for a large number and not a small or not a rare number of uh, cancer related deaths mm -hmm. uh, soon thought to be uh, you know uh, the second leading cause of cancer death behind lung cancer mm -hmm. uh, if it's not already there in developed countries uh, so you know this is unfortunately becoming very common and it's affected people we've all heard about and and, and it is a cancer that's growing in importance yeah, right. Alex Trebek comes to mind right away. And we've had Patrick Swayze and yeah. Uh, yeah, and Steve Jobs. And these are high profile people that have all the resources at their disposal, yet they still are having a really hard fight or they don't make it. Let's talk about the organization that you're involved with now, because this is one of the reasons why there's there's progression in treatments. You're involved with Pancreatic Cancer Canada. What's the what's the mission of that organization and what, what do you guys have going on right now? Yeah, so so 
you know, the mission of pancreas cancer, of pancreatic cancer Canada is really to be a national advocacy, uh, awareness, and research organization dedicated to pancreas cancer. We are the national voice for pancreatic cancer uh, in Canada. We're also a, you know, a member uh, and a very active uh, contributing member to uh, pancreatic, to the, the pancreatic cancer awareness and the cancer awareness movement around the world. Uh, a partner with world, the World Pancreatic Cancer Coalition and a partner with global cancer awareness organizations uh, like UICC. We are involved in funding important research in Canada and indeed uh, outside of Canada uh, for pancreas cancer. That's, that's, the, that's what we do the most with funds. And we have, and I'm proud to say that as a physician and as somebody who understands research, uh, it's, it's great to be able to, to help to oversee an organization that contributes research funding in a way that I can at least uh, understand that world a little bit as well. And so I'm proud of the fact that we've been able to fund very collaborative uh, research across the country mm -hmm. uh, from coast to coast and encourage uh, collaboration and teamwork among luminary pancreas cancer researchers uh, across Canada and try to expand uh, the collaboration inside of Canada to outside of Canada, including to the United States. In addition to that, though, we have been very active in patient support programs, um, in wellness programs, because what we have found is that uh, wellness programs uh, and patient support programs that, were, that, that are out there for cancer patients don't always address the needs of pancreas cancer patients because pancreas cancer is so different uh, from other forms of cancer. Whereas, you know, those kind of support programs may, you know, may help patients who have long survival times and who, who turn those forms of cancer into chronic diseases. Most of our pancreas cancer patients don't have that luxury. And so we partnered, for example, with Wellspring to create a program that is specific to pancreas cancer patients. You know, in addition to that, uh, we are very involved in, in outreach and education outreach, as we're talking about today, uh, trying to educate people uh, you know, about, uh, about pancreas cancer, uh, trying to reach out through, through, uh, um, through education programs, both in person and online, to, to uh, reach out and um, make people aware about this. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, we have a lot of awareness and advocacy um, programming uh, that's across Canada, uh, that helps um, patients with pancreas cancer as well. So that's kind of some of the uh, some of the things that we're involved in. We're talking with Dr. Anish Kripalani. He's the chairman of Pancreatic Cancer Canada and a research physician at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. He's telling us what we need to know about pancreatic cancer, but also what's new on the horizon in terms of treatments and research. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Anish Karpalani. He's the chairman of Pancreatic Cancer Canada and a research physician at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. He's sharing what we need to know about pancreatic cancer, the signs and the symptoms, as well as what's new on the horizon in terms of treatments and research. Let's get back to the interview. I'm sure it really helps the treatments to make sure that you guys are building and working with the people that are likely to have the best outcomes for the research. Yeah, and, 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 the, and, and really the, you know, what it comes down to in the mission um, it, overall through all these investments in research and in increased awareness is to improve the survival of this disease, to improve and increase the terrible survival rate of this disease through all of the work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So let's talk about some of that research right now, because I know about the Pank One Network and some of the research that's happening there. So what's happening in your world right now on that side of things? So, uh, you know, Pank One was an important project uh, that uh, started a few years ago, exactly what I was saying, through a collaborative, through putting together a collaborative network of pancreatic cancer uh, researchers and clinicians across Canada, at sites across Canada. And uh, the idea behind it was really to be able to understand pancreas cancer better. Why is that important? Well, in other forms of cancer, uh, treatments have moved to very personalized personalized medicine and personalized treatment where when you understand the subtype or when you understand the risk factors of the specific form of cancer, you can tailor the treatment um, to those patients a little bit better and therefore improve their outcomes. In pancreas cancer for many years, there was no such focus and, and, and really no such availability of treatments. You know, there was one or two main chemotherapy regimens and forms of surgery that were available to patients and now that's changed a little bit. There are a number of drugs and a number of chemotherapy regimens, um, advances in surgery that have, that have occurred, advances in radiation therapy that have occurred. It's important to be able to understand the genome of pancreas cancer and understand uh, the genetic subtypes of pancreas cancer. And so PANC1 was very important and is very important in um, being able to allow us to be able to sample that genome and to be able to uh, understand the subtypes of pancreas cancer and collect a database of all of that information and be able to use that to target treatments and personalize treatments to patients across the country. That's good. And where do you see this research leading to? Do you see them finding an eventual cure or something in early detection? I, you know, I think that, I think that the, the initial goal would be, as I said earlier, that, that boost or increase in survival rates. Uh, we have a long way to go survival rates are very, very poor in pancreas cancer. Uh, anything we can do to improve that is going to be, you know, to improve it significantly is going to be a big advance. Mm -hmm. So that would be the first goal of this, uh, moving those kind of shifting around treatment uh, regimens, personalizing those treatment regimens, um, and funding the advancement of new treatment regimens is going to hopefully improve that survival rate. Yeah. It's possible that uh, we may maybe not cure everybody with this, with, you know, with this form of research, but we may see more and more people being cured with long-term survival in pancreas cancer. We're already seeing it. Uh, and so I think we can talk about cure from that perspective. Uh, and the third, and the other thing you mentioned is early detection. Early detection is a, you know, is a, um, it's the holy grail of pancreas cancer, right? It's, it's what we want to get to, but we don't, we're not there yet. And we're, you know, this is not focused in early detection. There is a lot of work being done around the world trying to find uh, an early detection test, whether that be an imaging, whether that be blood work, whether that be something else. Uh, we ourselves are funding early work in terms of wearable technology. Something innovative that we're doing right now is trying to get you know, data that might come from a patient uh, in terms of how they're feeling or in terms of what their vital signs are, in terms of what, you know, what, uh, how they're feeling when they woke up one morning and having them wear technology that can capture that kind of data might help us in that realm. There's lots of other kind of innovative work being done in that area, but we're not there yet. We don't have a good early detection technique. Um, and this work in NeoPank1 and, and, and PANK1 is not you know, in that area that I think is so important in getting us up to a level where we can really start to think about early detection. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think one of the last questions I'd ask you would be, people are very generous. They love to give to different causes, but I always, try and encourage people to be a little bit 
more conscious of maybe where they're putting their, their funds. And why would it be so important if somebody's thinking about, you know, giving to some sort of medical research, why something like pancreatic cancer would be something that should maybe come to mind for them? You know, the, the, uh, that's a great question. Among cancers and among disease-focused charities, this is a really important initiative. Uh, we have to get pancreas cancer patients to survival rates that are at least comparable to other forms of cancer that have advanced greatly in the last 30 to 40 years while pancreas cancer has lagged behind. Uh, so I, I think, you know, the cause and speaking for all the people that we've lost to this disease you know, would be important. Uh, that's important enough. Mm -hmm. you, know, uh, you know, on top of that, there is, there is such optimism now. You know, somebody could say, well, uh, for 40 years, uh, you know, nothing really, ha you know, nothing's really happening. Why, you know, why should I give my money to that, to, you know, to something where we haven't, we just haven't had effective treatments. I would say in the last 10 years, and particularly in the last five years, we have a lot of hope. We have a lot of promise for new, all of a sudden in the last five years, new chemotherapy regimens that have actually significantly improved survival have come out. Massive advances in surgical treatment and a selection of patients to surgery, vascular reconstruction, reconstructing blood vessels that, are, that otherwise a surgeon wouldn't have touched that tumor, you know, maybe 10 years or 15 years ago, uh, they are going in and, and, and operating on these patients now. So I feel like we have the tools, you know, we have these medical tools that have reached a point you know, almost an inflection point where we're ready for a big breakthrough now. Sequencing the genome of pancreas cancer and the genetic, just think about the genetic techniques that we've used, that we've used in other, other diseases, other forms of cancer. Those are really being used in a great way in pancreas cancer now. So, you know, I feel like now is a great time to be putting your money, at, you know, at, to support this disease because of the, of the shocking and terrible outcomes that people have had in the past that, and they can't speak about it today. And because uh, we're at a, uh, you know, a real medical breakthrough uh, point. And, and I think that, you know, specifically to Pancreatic Cancer Canada, there's no other national voice that, that, uh, that is doing the things that we're doing, collaborating, liaising with pancreas cancer experts around the world and promoting the kind of collaborative work that we've done, both in terms of research and in terms of advocacy and awareness and wellness. So, um, you know, I would encourage your, your viewers to, to support this organization. I'm proud of the organization. I've got a lot of things going on in my life. I wouldn't lend my time to it if I, if I, if I really didn't feel strongly about it. Mm. Well, I'm sure your mom's proud of you too for all the work you're doing and helping other Thanks people. That. Yeah, well, I really appreciate it. Somebody who shared the same type of experience. So it's, it's really, uh, really nice for you to take the time to come here and share what's going on and a little bit more about the disease with our, with our listeners. So uh, thank you again. And it was uh, uh, really great to have a chat today. It was really great uh, talking to you, Mike, and getting to know you. And, and thank you for, for um, lending your platform uh, to talking about this. Really important. And um, I, I'm, I'm glad we have uh, a connection to, to be able to speak again, hopefully sometime. We definitely will. Anything new comes up, you be sure to reach out. Thanks so much, Mike. That was Dr. Anish Kripalani, who is the chair of Pancreatic Cancer Canada. He joined us from St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto to share his personal experience with pancreatic cancer, losing his mother and then becoming a fierce advocate for some of the amazing new research which is underway with the help of his organization, Pancreatic Cancer Canada. When we return, we'll talk with my mother who, after losing my father, has been raising awareness on the disease in Atlantic Canada through our family's Purple Lights for John campaign. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. 
Believe it or not, I'm here with my mom, Sharon Wall, to talk about her and my father's experience with pancreatic cancer, which eventually took him eight years ago. Since then, she has become an advocate for creating awareness around the disease by leading the Purple Lights for John campaign here in Atlantic Canada. Let's check in with her and find out more. Hi, Mom. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. I'm glad to be here. We're talking about pancreatic cancer, and our families obviously had a very real experience with it. Can you share with the audience the experience that you had with Dad when he faced pancreatic cancer? Okay, so your father was a geologist and uh, had been very active all his life, uh, loved the outdoors, was always in um, good health. And then he began to get some very subtle symptoms. He uh, developed a mild pain in his side that wouldn't seem to go away. And just a general feeling of not feeling well, but not enough to keep him down. So we went to the doctor and he ran a series of tests uh, over the course of almost a year. Couldn't find anything. Uh, and. Uh, then in, in, in our case, they finally found um, a, a, a different cancer. They found a bladder cancer and uh, began to treat him for bladder cancer. In the course of those treatments, uh, they did a scan and discovered a shadow on his liver. And when they biopsied the liver, they discovered that it was a tumor, uh, but it wasn't related to the bladder cancer. It was in fact pancreatic cancer. I mean, honestly, I'll never, ever forget the day sitting in the doctor's office when we were waiting for the results from the scan. And I can remember him walking in and all he said was, I'm so sorry. And your father, on the day he had this, the uh, scan of the liver done, the day he did the biopsy of the liver, him saying, I'm not afraid of the procedure, I'm afraid of the results. good reason yeah up until that point we really didn't know anything about pancreatic cancer because we hadn't had any experience or didn't know anyone who'd had any experience with it yeah i remember that day when you said that because you know you know dad has cancer and i knew he had stomach problems for a long time but i i think the thing that that, that struck me the most about it was just the scariest part was that when we actually looked up what pancreatic cancer was the survival rates were just so terrible. What did you guys do when you found out just how deadly pancreatic cancer was? Well, we, of course, looked it up and um, we talked to the doctor and we knew that there was, it, it was a late stage pancreatic cancer. It was metastatic at that point. And so we decided we'd get a second opinion. And we went to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston and uh, they gave the same diagnosis. So dad went through various different treatments. He was given a very short period of time. He did better than expected, I think, when it came to how long he made it. But talk about what he went through for his treatments. Well, in both the hospital here, uh, the oncologists here, and the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute recommended at the time that he try what was a relatively new chemotherapy uh, for pancreatic cancer called fulfirinox. And fulfirinox was a very toxic 
dose of four different uh, chemicals. And uh, it, you could only qualify to have fulfirinox if you were in great shape other than having um, pancreatic cancer. Mm. And so your father qualified for it, um, but it was, a, um, it, it was a very devastating chemotherapy. Uh, he was extremely ill on it. At times we wondered, you know, which would take him first, the chemotherapy or the pancreatic cancer. He could easily lose 20 pounds in, in a week and a half. And it gradually got to a point where the days of feeling well in between chemo treatments got shorter and shorter until we had to start canceling treatments and so on. We knew from the beginning that uh, fulfirinox, like most chemotherapies, with a, with a terminal cancer like he had, would only be effective for a period of time. And so we could see that it was holding some of the tumors from growing for a period of time, but then the numbers began to go up and we knew we had lost the effectiveness. What was the things that were most surprising to you when, when dad got that diagnosis? Well, first of all, it was shocking to us and, and devastating, of course, to find out just how serious this cancer was and how low the survival rate was. I mean, it was, it was shocking to know that the survival rate for this deadly a cancer had not improved in almost 40 years. And so many people were like us and really just didn't know enough about it. So people can't give to something that they don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. It, was, um, it was shocking the toll that it takes on someone. Your father for a while uh, was having his chemo and would be sick for a week or 10 days and then was able to get himself back to a point where he could putter a little outside and so on. But then, you know, we began to see the, the full devastating effects of what was happening. But I will say that on the oncology uh, department worked very closely with us. We, we, we became our own advocates. I kept stats on everything. I took his temperature every day, his blood pressure every day. When we went for chemo, they gave me all of the blood results and I kept them all tabulated. And when we found that one of the four drugs was being too hard on him, then they reduced it or and then they finally eliminated it. And so they worked with us. And, and I would say to people, one of the things that I learned in the process is that cancer affects the entire family. And you're, you're so frightened in the beginning because you don't know how to handle it. I can remember when they gave me all of the paperwork on the side effects of uh, the various drugs in the chemotherapy. And if he experiencing this level of symptoms, this type of symptom, then you call the doctor, but don't go to the hospital. But if he's experiencing this level, you take him to the hospital immediately. I did a huge chart documenting them all because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to remember them. But you you, you get support from family, you get support from oncology, and we have wonderful oncology doctors who are there to do the best they can. And your case contributes to the research that they're doing that will help other people in the future. You know, I remember sitting on the couch, me and you, and shocked about all the whole situation and then taking the same approach you pr- pretty much take with everything in your life is uh, how do you make the best out of something that's been pretty, pretty bad. Tell me about the Purple Lights campaign and, and you know, what you've been able to do with our help, of course, but you know, what you've sort of led when it comes to Uh, pancreatic cancer awareness? Sure. I think that um, after your father passed away, we knew we wanted to do something 
to try to have some impact and to help other people. And uh, so I can remember us talking about this. I can remember me sitting in St. John's, Newfoundland on the couch with you. Mm -hmm. And we talked about what we could do. And of course, um, your sister, Laura, as well. And uh, at that time, Pancreatic Cancer Canada had a Purple Lights campaign. Now, we knew we weren't in a position as a family to go out and raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. But the Purple Lights campaign, um, we could certainly buy a set of purple lights and put them up and we could encourage our friends and our neighbors uh, to buy lights and put them up and we could try to create more awareness around pancreatic cancer so people would begin to ask about it learn about it also pancreatic cancer canada was focused largely on getting iconic sites in cities lit up and mm -hmm. so on and, and we did that in our community. Every year now for the last eight years, both of our cities have done proclamations for the month of November for pancreatic cancer awareness. Our legislative assemblies have lit up. But I think even best of all, our local businesses and our community members have put lights on their storefronts and in their windows of their homes. And when you drive around your city and you see these purple lights glowing in the month of November, you know that's making an impact. More people know. They see the lights now. They know it's pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you've got, I think about St. John's Water Street is one of the most iconic streets. You know, talk about buildings. They're kind of, it's a street that's iconic. It's one of the oldest streets in North America, if not the oldest street. And the shops are so unique and different. That's just the way they are down there. But they've got this universal purple light in the, in the window, which, you know, makes people say, what's going on here? And I think folks are used to that now. We go to the stores, like, oh, it's November. It's time to put them up. And, and I think that also the media outlets have been so helpful when it comes to this, uh, to be able to spread the word. And then, like you said, our leadership and our communities. I know Mayor Breen is, has been there every single year to read a proclamation and, and to light City Hall up purple, and that's meant a lot to us as well. So that was the start of where we were and how we tried to create awareness. What, were, what are the main goals besides awareness? Now we've reached a point where we have a fair amount of awareness in our communities and we were selling purple lights. We had a supply of purple lights for a while and uh, we were selling them for $20 a set and the money was going to Pancreatic Cancer Canada. Mm -hmm. Now we've moved on to trying to increase the money that we're raising by launching a new campaign this year called our virtual light bulb mm -hmm. campaign. Mm -hmm. So now what we're feeling this year is we're asking people to buy a virtual light bulb for $15, the money goes directly to Pancreatic Cancer Canada, who will issue a tax receipt for that donation. And the collective impact of people buying all of these virtual light bulbs, we hope will raise a significant amount of money this year for pancreatic cancer research. What do you hope to see happen when it comes to pancreatic cancer care over the next little while as a result of some of these efforts? You know, we often talk about a cure for cancers. I think for pancreatic cancer, one of the most significant things that could come out of the research are diagnostic tools. Uh, so many people die of pancreatic cancer because by the time they're finally diagnosed, it's too late. They, they don't qualify for an operation. Less than 15% of the people who are diagnosed with pancreatic cancer qualify to have an operation. And without that, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see the money that funds this research develop those diagnostic tools so people could get their diagnoses early and have a fighting chance. I remember hearing from 
one family one time because we have a lot of families who reach out to us as well and said that when their father got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, he wanted to put up a fight, but it was one-sided. He didn't have a fighting chance. So I'd like to see us raise awareness and help do our part to raise some funds to help give pancreatic cancer patients a fighting chance. Mm. I just want to thank you, mom, because I've been able to see it. It's been really cathartic for me to be able to help and, uh, and to, you know, develop this whole program, but uh, it wasn't for your sort of bravery dealing with it and uh, then it probably wouldn't have happened. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening today. As you can tell, this is a topic that my family and I are passionate about. If you want to find out more about the Purple Lights campaign here in Newfoundland and Labrador, you can find us on Facebook under Purple Lights for John, or you can email me at wallshow at vocm.com. That's W-A-H-L show at vocm.com. Thank you to Dr. Kripalani for taking the time to chat today and my mom for sharing her and dad's story. I also want to thank all of our amazing supporters who have lit up purple this year. Whether you had lights from us in the past or just went down to the hardware store and put up some purple lights, we really appreciate your support. Well, that's today's show. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.